Take your Bible and find your place with me at the book of Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. This is the third message and the final one in this subject of an inner calm. Uh, An inner calm, C-A-L-M. If you didn't hear the previous two messages, I encourage you to go back to our website, uh, go to our app on your phone or on your uh, mobile device, uh, iPad or whatever you may be using and go to our website, go to our app, and follow along those first two messages because this is sort of the capstone. This is the concluding message of, those three, of these three messages. We're going to begin reading in verse 4, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray together. Father, I ask now that as we turn our attention to your word, we've been worshiping in song, but now we come to worship through your word. We come to hear what you have to say. I pray, Lord God, that we'll have spiritual ears to hear. In your name I pray, amen. We've been talking about this subject of anxiety and worry and, and fear. Now this is the third week. And I want to start a little differently today. I thought maybe we would start with a little bit of humor. I heard the story about a woman who found, found it difficult to get to sleep at night because she was anxious about a burglar breaking into the house. That caused her great anxiety. Well, one night she heard a noise downstairs, and so she sent her husband to investigate. Well, when he got down there, there was actually a burglar in the house. And her husband said to him, good evening. I'm pleased to finally see you. Come upstairs and meet my wife. For 10 years, she's been looking for you to come. (laughs) And maybe some of you have anxiety about uh, at night when you're sleeping, wondering who's going to come in. Another little funny story, and this sounds like one of my dear friends who was a deacon of our church, Corky, some, some of his kinds of little stories There was a man that went to a psychiatrist and he said, sometimes I think I'm a teepee and sometimes I think I'm a wigwam. And the psychiatrist looked at him and said, your problem is easy to diagnose. You're too tense. (laughs) That's T-W-O-T-E-N-T-S, not T-O-O-T-E-N-S-E. But while he might be too tense, you and I are oftentimes too tense, aren't we? We find ourselves churning and stirring within ourselves, and we're bothered by a lot of things. The Apostle Paul comes in this particular portion of Scripture, and he addresses that very matter. And he does it with six imperatives. Four of those we've already looked at in the previous two messages. Imperative number one was rejoice in the Lord. Imperative number two was to let your gentleness be known to all men. And then the third imperative was to be anxious for nothing. Stop being anxious. 
And then the fourth imperative was to make your requests known to, uh, to God. Now, the fifth imperative is where we're going to spend most of our time today, and then we'll see the sixth imperative as well. And that fifth imperative is found in the eighth verse that we read a few moments ago. So turn your attention back there for just a moment and follow along with me again. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. To meditate is to think over and over about. I want to begin by telling you what Christian meditation is and isn't. Christian meditation is not emptying our minds of everything, as is practiced in some Eastern religions. It is not emptying our minds of everything, but instead, it is filling our minds with the right things, and then thinking about the right things repeatedly over and over. And maybe I should stop at this moment and just have a a moment to tell you about Eastern religions and Eastern meditation. If you're familiar, for instance, with yoga, then you're familiar with the fact that sometimes they begin by saying a little word and just sounding out a little word, om. They sit sometimes with their legs crossed, their palms facing the sky. Don't you wish you could still sit on the ground with your legs crossed? with their palms facing toward the sky, touching their fingers like this, and they say, um. And, and most people never think anything about it. But let me remind you that that little phrase that you're saying when you practice that, that's a sacred spiritual incantation. That's a sacred spiritual incantation that's made before and during the recitation of, of uh, spiritual texts and during puja. Puja is when you're making an offering of flowers or fruit to the image of a god. So that when you do what Eastern meditation teaches, which is to empty your mind of everything and then just say this little word, um, you're in essence inviting spirits into you and to you that you don't want anywhere around you. Christian meditation isn't anything like that. It's not about emptying your mind. It's not about saying some uh, spiritual incantation. It is about filling your mind so that you can think over and over and over about the thoughts that are the right thoughts. And the reason is because most of the battles we face with anxiety and worry, do you know where they're, you know where they're fought? They're fought in the mind, in our minds. I don't know if you know this, what the scripture has to say about our minds, at least about our minds before we come to Christ, before we become uh, followers of Jesus. But let me give you some for instances. The Bible says about our minds that they're depraved, Romans chapter 1, verse 28. In Romans chapter 8, verse 5, it says that our minds are focused on the flesh. In Romans 8, 6, it says they lead to death. In Colossians 1.21, it says our minds are hostile to God. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, they're foolish. Our minds are foolish. In 2 Corinthians 3.14, they're obscured to spiritual truth. The word is hidden. They're obscured so that they can't see spiritual truth. In 2 Corinthians 4.4, it says they're blinded by Satan. In Ephesians 4.17, it says that our minds are futile. In 4.18 of Ephesians, it says they're ignorant, not in the sense of intellect, but in the sense of the spiritual. They're ignorant. 
And in Titus chapter 1, verse 15, it says, our minds are defiled. Not a very pretty picture of the unbelieving mind. That's why it's so important that we remember what Paul taught in Romans chapter 12. What did he say? He said we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service, being transformed, how? By the renewing of our, what's the word? Of our minds. I mean, the battles that we're fighting when it comes especially to the matter of anxiety, when it comes to that, for that matter, to the matter of uh, temptation, the battles that we're fighting are battles in our mind. In our minds, apart from Christ, they're not a pretty thing. They're set against Christ. They're set against God. And when we come to Christ, he begins remaking our minds. He wants us to have a renewed mind according to the word of God. And why would that be? Well, Proverbs 23, verse 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Do you realize that as you think, you become? As you think, what you dwell on, where your mind spends its time, is inevitably what gets worked out in the course of your life. If our minds obsess over troubles and circumstances, then anxiety inevitably grows in our lives. And so we have to take our thoughts into captivity. We have to fill our minds with things that calm us. And that's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. He says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You may remember, some of you at least, us having Dr. John Phillips here. Dr. Phillips was here on several occasions, preached to us a number of times. You may remember one Sunday night when he took us through the entire book of Revelation in one hour. It was an incredible message. That beautiful English accent. If I, could just, if I could just learn to speak with that English accent, I wouldn't be any smarter, but I would sound smarter. Dr. John Phillips was a genius. He brought all of his books with him. We were able to buy them at an incredible price. And we so appreciated all the times he's in heaven now. But we so appreciated the, the numerous times he was able to come and be with us. But Dr. John Phillips says this. A guarded thought life has to be accompanied by a guided thought life. A guarded thought life has to be accompanied by a guided thought life. You, you don't just open your mind up and let whatever will come in. You don't just guard your mind. You actually guide your mind to the right things to think about. In other words, to deal with anxiety, this is more my kind of terminology, we have to think about what we think about. To deal with anxiety, we have to think about what we think about. No such thing as Eastern meditation where you just sit there on the floor and you, know, you say some kind of spiritual incantation and empty your mind of everything. You have to think about what you think about. You have to stop and say, what should be in my mind? What are the things that should consume my thoughts? Where should my mind be at this given moment? And is my mind where it needs to be? And if it's not, I bring into captivity these thoughts. And I bring myself back to thinking about the things that God would have me to think. Why? Because my mind is the battlefield when it comes to the, this matter of anxiety. In our text, specifically, verses 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul gives us six adjectives and two nouns. You'll notice that the word whatever is there repeatedly, six times. It's plural. In other words, this is expansive. This is comprehensive. 
whatever things are true, whatever's noble, whatever's just, whatever's lovely, whatever's of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, think on these things, meditate on these things, fill your mind with these kinds of things, guide your mind to think about the things it needs to think about. Think about these words that he uses here. The first one is true, whatever things are true. It's the opposite of what is dishonest and unreliable, things that are untrustworthy things. But we shouldn't be thinking about politics, I suppose. (laughs) Dishonest, unreliable, and untrustworthy. I better move along. (laughs) The next word is the word noble. The word speaks of that which is dignified and that which is worthy of respect. The only other times this word is used is when it's used in reference to those that are in leadership in the church. They're supposed to be dignified, worthy of respect. They're supposed to be noble. Then he uses the word just. We're to direct our minds toward what is just. It speaks of that which conforms to God's standards, that which is righteous. He uses the word pure. It means that which is wholesome and not mixed with moral impurity. He uses the word lovely. And that's not a reference to your wives, men. That's a word that means what promotes peace rather than conflict. And then he talks about good report. The only time it's used is here in the New Testament. And it speaks of something that's positive and something that's constructive rather than something that's negative and destructive. You know, some people love the negative and the destructive. We direct our minds. We think about what we think about. We direct our minds toward what's a good report. And then he uses these two nouns, virtue. Speaks of what is highest, that of highest moral and spiritual and ethical excellence. And praiseworthy is anything that's commendable to God and to others. And so you see this list, six adjectives, two nouns. And this was a very common thing to do in Greek society, to take a a list, a virtue list. Paul does this on some other occasions, a virtue list. And then to expand it, Paul says, whatever fits in this category, whatever is like this, you're supposed to think about what you think about. You're supposed to guide, not just guard, you're supposed to guide your thoughts where they need to go. You need to put your mind where it needs to be placed. Not just open your mind up to anything and let anything come in that might be out there. We have to guard our thoughts and we have to guide our thoughts. We have to think about what we think about because what you dwell on with your mind, you will produce with your life. Do you believe that? What you dwell on with your mind, you will produce with your life. It works itself out in the course of your life. So you have to stop and cause your mind to dwell on the right things. I I can understand this because when my mind's not dwelling on the right things, anxiety and worry and fear grow inevitably. And when my mind is focused on the right things, then I find that that fear and that anxiety is diminished and the calm can be found. We have to guide our thoughts, think about what we think about. Dr. R. Kent Hughes was the pastor of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois. Uh, he was there some 30 or so years. And during that his course of his ministry, he wrote a number of books. They were all built out of his sermons. But there were a number of books that he wrote. And at this particular point in his book on Philippians, this is what he says. Suffice it to say that contemporary media overwhelmingly presents the antithesis of Philippians 4.8. 
as they have become increasingly eroticized, violent, and intolerant of Jesus Christ. And given that there is virtually no distinction, now listen, given that there is virtually no distinction between the viewing habits of Christians and non-Christians, the minds of countless Christians have become increasingly sub-Christian. Wow, that's convicting. Watch what we watch on television. We have to think about what we think about. We can't just mindlessly sit there and let something enter into our minds. As a matter of fact, I would tell you that if you sit and watch 24-hour cable news, you're a nervous wreck this morning. Doesn't matter which of the channels you watch, if it's the channel that supports what you believe. Doesn't matter. You're a nervous wreck this morning. Why? Because what we allow to enter our minds is what ultimately gets produced through our lives. We listen to the troubles and the trials that are going on all around us, and before we know it, we find ourselves troubled and in trials in our own lives. We find ourselves anxious. Several years ago, the news media picked up on a story about a woman that they nicknamed Garbage Mary. She lived in a smelly Chicago tenement in the, amid mounds of garbage. She spent her time rummaging through trash cans and through dumpsters. She bummed cigarettes off of her neighbors. And the police took her to a psychiatric hospital on one occasion when they stopped her because she was in a confused state of mind. When they went into her filthy apartment, they were astonished to find stock certificates and bank books indicating she actually was worth about a million dollars. She was the daughter of a wealthy Illinois lawyer. But that story illustrates so wonderfully that we fill our minds with the wrong things. We put into our minds the wrong things. It's a terribly sad story, but it pretty well illustrates the lives of a lot of us this morning. We're not thinking about what we're thinking about. We're just mindlessly sitting there, taking in whatever is around us, opening ourselves up to all of the spirits of the world. Let me tell you something. Your children will be influenced, especially at the college level, by the professors who have access to their minds because they learn to think about what they think about and they get shaped by the thoughts that they're thinking and they become the way they think. When it comes to the matter of anxiety, what we're thinking about inevitably gets worked out in our lives and we get filled with fear and we get filled with worry and we get filled with anxiety. And did you know that Anxiety can lead to depression. If it doesn't lead to it, uh, it uh, can destroy your life. Listen to what Proverbs 12, 25 says. Anxiety in the heart of man causes depression. If, if you dwell on it, you let yourself live there, it's going to destroy your life one way or the other. But if you let yourself live there, it inevitably takes you further than you want to go and leads you to a place of depression in your life. And a lot of people are walking around like zombies. They're overcome with depression and despondency and discouragement, and their minds are filled with all the wrong things because they don't think about what they're thinking about. They don't just guard, not guard their minds. They don't guide their minds. They, they don't think about what's lovely and good and just and pure and of good report and true. They don't think about those things. They think about all the wrong things so that the real battle that we're fighting today is a battle that's in our minds. We're never going to overcome anxiety or worry or fear if we don't deal with it. 
There's an old Indian Christian that was trying to explain to a missionary the battle that was going on within him. And he said it was like a good dog and a bad dog in a fight. And the missionary asked, well, which dog wins? And the man said, the one that I feed the most. That makes sense. I mean, if you're feeding your anxieties, and you're feeding your worries, and you're feeding your fears, then inevitably what's going to occur is going to get worse. But if you choose to guide your thoughts and to think about what you're thinking about so that your mind begins to be fixed on the kind of things that the Apostle Paul was dwelling, anything that's true and anything that's just and anything, everything that's pure and everything that's lovely and everything that's of good report, when you begin to think about those things, then the calm begins to return to your soul. I can't help but think about the Apostle Paul. When they came to Philippi some 10 years before he wrote this letter, when he came to Philippi, he ends up in a jail cell. His back has been laid bare. He's beaten. He's bleeding. He's bruised. He's in the inner prison. His feet are in stocks. He's in the most desperate of circumstances. And what does it tell us that he was doing in the middle of the night? He was praying and he was singing praise to God. You know what Paul did? How do you do that? How how do you have a song in the night? Well, the psalmist said it. Psalm 42, verse 8, the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. When you get your mind off of the things that, you're, that are the circumstances surrounding you, and you get your mind onto the things where God would have you to dwell, when you think about what you're thinking about, and you think about the things that God says will bring a calm, then suddenly we find ourselves with a calm settling over us. And trust me, I know. My mind drifts. Does yours drift? Like right this moment? (laughs) My mind drifts. Does yours drift? My mind drifts to everything that could happen. To everything that might occur. It drifts. And some of you are super spiritual. I realize that. Some of you are, are so much like Jesus that you've never worried about a thing. And we love you. We can't understand you, but we love you. We don't really like you, but we love you. <laughs> Most of us have that same trouble. Our minds drift. I see Christians th- talking about the political atmosphere of our day. They're in absolute turmoil, as if there's not a sovereign God. God wants you to think about what you're thinking about. We have to feed our mind on things that are calm our fears and our anxieties, not on things that create our fears and our anxieties. And yet, so often we don't do it, and consequently, we don't have a song in the night. We've lost our song. We can't sing in the middle of the night because we're thinking about the consequences. We're thinking about the circumstances rather than thinking about the God who is the God of our circumstances. By the way, I can't think of a much better picture that's being drawn for us verbally about Jesus than Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Can you think of a better example of what's true or what's noble or what's just or what's pure or what's lovely or what's of good report or what's virtuous or what's praiseworthy? I mean, ultimately, all of those words point to what person? (laughs) They all point to Jesus. Are you all with me? Stay with me. They all point to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate example of those six adjectives and those two nouns. He's the ultimate example. In essence, he's saying, get your mind on Jesus. 
Get your mind on the God of heaven. Get your mind on his word. Get your mind on things that are true and righteous and just and good and praiseworthy. Get your mind on what's virtuous. Don't let your mind be filled. Don't just open yourself up. Don't just open yourself up to the spirits of this world. Direct your minds into the ways of God, into the work of God, into the will of God, and let your mind begin to dwell there, and you'll find a peace settling over your soul. Oswald Chambers is a name that's probably well known to most of you, most likely because of his devotional, My Upmost for His Highest. How many of you have read My My Upmost for His Highest? If you don't have that book, you can simply go to the website, you can put your email in, email address in, and they'll send you every morning one of those devotionals, 365 days a year, one of those devotionals. Something you might not have known about Oswald Chambers. Most of his books, some 25 or 30 books, most of his books were published after he died. My utmost for his highest was published 13 years after he died. You say, Pastor, how in the world would they publish books of somebody who had died? His wife was an expert in shorthand, and when he spoke, she took verbatim in shorthand everything that he said, and then she took all of that information, and she has turned those things into books. Honey, I hope you're doing that for me. (laughs) Did you know that as a young man that Oswald Chambers, by the way, he died at 43. I think of 43 as a young man anymore. As a young man, Oswald Chambers suffered a four-year-long crisis that he described, these are his words, he described as hell on earth. So if you're there, you're overcome with anxiety and fear, you're going through a tough time in your life, one of the best-known Christians who've ever lived, one whose books are still selling. That was 1935 when it was published, 13 years after his death. His book is still being published, and people are still reading it to this day. He talked about that four-year period. These are his words. For four years, nothing but the overruling grace of God and the kindness of friends kept me out of an asylum. You ever thought about that? Ever been so miserable You thought they were going to come get you in a paddy wagon and carry you away to an asylum. One of the greatest Christians that ever lived. Scottish believer, Scottish Baptist holiness believer, Oswald Chambers, had had a period in his life that was just like that. And in his devotional, My Upmost for His Highest, he has one devotion about it. Listen, it's called, Are You Obsessed by Something? He writes, Are you obsessed by something? You will probably say, No, by nothing. But all of us are obsessed by something, usually by ourselves or, if we are Christians, by our own experiences. But we are to be obsessed by God. Now listen. The abiding awareness of the Christian life is to be God himself. The total being of our life inside and out is to be absolutely obsessed by the presence of God. Amen? Amen? Now what I like next is his analogy. Listen to his analogy. You mothers are going to get this. In the same way we are to, excuse me, uh, a child's awareness is so absorbed in his mother. A child's awareness is so absorbed in his mother that although he is not consciously thinking of her, when a problem arises, the abiding relationship is that with the mother. And every daddy in the room says, yeah, I know, I know. 
when those kids were tiny, small, little ones, and they wanted somebody, they always wanted their mother. Where's mother? They were obsessed with their mother. He goes on, in the same way, we are to live and move and have our being in God, looking at everything in relation to him, because our abiding awareness of him continually pushes itself to the forefront of our lives. He finishes out, if we are obsessed by God, if we are obsessed by God, nothing else can get into our lives, not concerns, nor tribulation, nor worries. To be obsessed by God is to have an effective barricade against all the assaults of the enemy. And all God's people said amen. We're obsessed with football. We're obsessed with uh, baseball. We're obsessed with basketball. We're obsessed with everything except God. And we wonder why we're a nervous wreck, why we're falling apart at the seams we're not thinking about what we think about. We're not just guarding, not guarding our thoughts. We're not guiding our thoughts to think the things that we need to think. We're not bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We're not focusing our minds on the ultimate example of verse 8, the one who is lovely and true and just and holy and good. We've got our minds focused on everything but him. And the result is the anxiety begins to grow. If we're going to calm ourselves, we have to think about what, we're, what we think about. We have to guide our thoughts to the right kinds of thoughts. We can't just open our minds and let the world pour into us whatever they want to pour into us. We have to stop and ask the question, are these the kind of thoughts I ought to be thinking? And will these thoughts bring calm or will they bring trouble? There's one more imperative, and that's the one that's found in verse 9. We're not going to take much time with this one. It's pretty obvious what it means. You can't just hear these things. You've got to do these things. Verse 9, these things which you learned and received, those go together. That has to do with Paul's teaching. What you learned and received and you heard and saw, that has to do with his example. What you've heard about me, what you've seen in me, these do. That's the command. These do. Do you understand what he's saying? In other words, the, this, this way of life is not only a mental exercise alone, it has to be lived out, it has to be practiced, it has to be walked out, not just thought out. You don't just ponder it, you do it. And so all of these things has gone before, rejoicing in the Lord and letting your gentleness be known to all men and stop being anxious, but make your request known to God and filling your mind with the right kind of things. You don't just think about them. And in there, you do them. You do what these things say. A lot of people take information in and it stops. It never gets applied. That's the point. It never gets applied. They come and they take notes of the sermon. And then they never go back and put anything into practice. They never go back and do what they've been instructed to do. And the result is they fill themselves with the anxieties of this world. Satan is a destroyer. He loves anxiety. He loves confusion. He loves fear. He wants to fill your life with all things disruptive and disturbing. And God says, I'll give you my peace. And not only will you have my peace, did you notice what he said in verse 9? He said, the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that incredible? You know, if you've got the God of peace with you, you've got the peace of God with you. 
if you got the God of peace with you, you've got the peace of God with you, right? I mean, he says when you do these things, you don't just listen to them and let them lay there. You, you hear what I'm saying. Some of you are going to go out and say, well, yeah, I need to think about what I think about. And then you're going to sit there in front of your TV. Mm. He's t- saying that we have to think about what we think about and we don't just think about it and that's the end of it. We go do something about it. We intentionally do something. That's the key word. Everybody uses that word today. That's the, that's the popular word today. Everything has to be intentional. Amen. It absolutely has to be intentional. And it's what he's telling us. He wants us to fill our lives with the things that are right and just and good and holy and honorable. He wants to have our thoughts filled with those kinds of things because the peace of God will be our comfort through prayer and the God of peace will be our daily companion. I want to give you the word calm one more time. He'll put it on the screen for me. I want calm in my soul, Pastor. Number one, you need to celebrate what, what's true about God. Rejoice in the Lord. Guess what? When you start rejoicing in the Lord, you start changing what you're thinking about, right? Right? Celebrate what's true about God. Ask God for help through prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You ask God, Lord, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. You list things for which you're thankful. Just make a list. Do you ever have a list of things that you're thankful for? You got a list of all the things you got to do, all the things that aren't done, all the things you're not happy about. Do you have a list of things that you're thankful for? And do you use that list to come back to God and say, oh, Lord, these are my knees, but I want to tell you, Lord, you've been so good and so gracious to me. Start with your salvation. If you're saved, if you know Christ is your Savior, you put your faith in him. He's given you the gift of eternal life. You start there. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you for making me your child. Thank you for giving me a home in heaven. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Now listen, you have more things to thank for, be thankful for than you can even begin to imagine. What's the old song? Count your many blessings, name them one by one. Do you ever count your blessings anymore? We've got a world that's filled with the negative. They're feeding our minds the negative, the hateful the mean-spirited, the unholy, the unrighteous. We have to make a list of the things we're thankful for, and then we have to meditate only on what is good. What are you thinking about right now? What are you thinking about right now? Don't raise your hand. Don't speak out loud. What are you thinking about right now? You have to think about what you're thinking about. We've come to a moment in this service where I want you to think about what you're thinking about. We are thinking about the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thinking about what he has done for us on the cross of Calvary and the shedding of his blood and the giving of his body so that we might be forgiven of our sins. We're thinking about the grace that has been extended to us again and again. By the way, that's why you need to be in church every Sunday. Unless you're providentially hindered, you need to be there every Sunday because it's the time to reset your mind, put your mind back on the right things to help you get started and to go through the week thinking about what you're thinking about. We stop today to think about the body and the blood of Jesus. 
we have eternal life because of him. He's brought us into the family of God to be able to celebrate as the family of God because of his shed blood, of his body that was given for us. And we stop in these moments to think about what we think about. 